Good evening. Thank you for coming. So we'll continue with our study of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're in the first section, which is describing the specific function of Paramatma in relation to the cosmic manifestation, both as the Purusha and as the Guna avatars. In this section that we're studying uh, right now, uh, Vish, uh, Jiva Goswami is establishing the supremacy of Vishnu over the other two of the Guna avatars, Brahma and Shiva, his supreme position in relationship to the Guna avatars, but also, especially in the Anucheta we'll be reading through tonight, the fact that they are to be viewed as equal manifestations of the Supreme in relationship to their responsibility within the cosmic manifestation. So this will become clear. And in doing so, uh, especially with this 16th section or Anucheta, uh, Srila Jiva Goswami will be dealing with the proper conceptual understanding uh, of the of the guna avatars and he will touch upon that in relationship with uh, the offenses to the holy name so that we can understand properly uh, those sections which say that we should not see a distinction between Lord Shiva and Lord Vishnu because that's an offense to the holy name so how are we to see that? What's the proper conception of that? So that will come out. So 16th Anucheta. Sri Sukha also hints at the oneness between Vishnu and the Purusha. So the last couple sections, Anuchetas have dealt with this and we have more of the same beginning this evening. First, Jiva Goswami quotes a verse from the 12th canto of the Bhagavat Purana. Continuous, continuously being described here is Hari, meaning here within the Bhagavat Purana, um, who is imminent as the self of the cosmos and transcendent as Bhagavan. It is from his delight that Brahma is born and from his anger that Rudra arises. That's in the fifth chapter of the twelfth uh, canto, actually the very first verse of that yes. chapter. Jiva explains the verse. In this verse, Sri Vishnu is not mentioned by name. This shows that he is directly one with Bhagavan Hari, the imminent self of the cosmos, and the transcendent Bhagavan. This is stated, and this is again from the Bhagavat Purana, he, the Purusha Narayan, indeed is Vishnu. The Shrutis also state, the Purusha, Bhagavan Narayan, verily intended. Later Brahma was born from Narayan. From him Brahma were born all the living beings. Maha Narayana 
Upanishad. And another another couple quotes are come from that uh, same Upanishad. Narayan is the supreme Brahman. Narayan is the absolute truth, the cosmic law, truth, the supreme transcendence, and the Purusha, who is blackish yellow, Krishna Pingala, in color. Also, in the beginning there was only Narayan, not Brahma and not Sankar. He became a sage, Muni, and deliberated. From him only appeared all these, the universe, Brahma, Agni, Varuna, Rudra, and Indra. Therefore, it is also fitting that he alone is recognized as a subject worthy of description in the Srimad Bhagavatam. So we have a little of uh, that Nyaya, Stuna, Nikanana, Nyaya, pounding of the post here. It is Narayan. Jiva is firmly establishing the supremacy of Vishnu and to make it more evident he's taken up the same subject that he's just discussed in this regard. The more a principle has objections raised against it that are then refuted the more assuredly it becomes established. So again the, the point is being made here to specifically address, especially in the culture of Jiva's time, uh, the supremacy of Vishnu over Shiva. Shiva, Shiva is worshipped uh, pretty extensively in the Indian culture uh, by those who are non-Vaishnavs. Without clearing this confusion regarding the supremacy of Vishnu over Shiva. As regards Shiva's status in relation to Bhagavad Vishnu, it would be difficult to develop faith, firm faith in Bhakti unto Bhagavan Sri Krishna, which is the Abhideya Tattva of the Bhagavad Purana. Hence the present exercise is taken up. Shiva's taken up a point of of making this understandable. And he's going to continue in the 17th Anucheta, which is extremely long. Here, Jiva Goswami, well, here this Anucheta is so detailed that it's broke, been broken up into four or five subsections, as has been done before with other long Anuchetas. And we're begin here with the first subsection and this first subsection Brahma and Shiva are not independent controllers Jiva begins this 17th Anucheta by raising a doubt in the Shastras we find descriptions of the oneness of these three gods such as and he quotes from the Srimad Bhagavatam's fourth canto that person attains peace who does not see any distinction between the three of us, Brahma, Shiva, and myself, Vishnu, who have the same essential nature and who are the self of all living beings. So this is Vishnu speaking to Daksha. And he's saying, 
you'll have you'll have peace peace will come to you if you do not see a distinction between myself Brahma and Shiva Jiva goes on and now he quotes from the 12th canto they do not perceive even an atom of difference between me Shiva Vishnu and Brahma and the second statement is made by Shiva in other Puranas it is described that if one sees Brahma or Shiva as distinct from Vishnu, he goes to Naraka, the destination of wrongdoers after death. In other words, if you see a distinction between the three of, of them, then you're going to hell. So this, of course, could raise some confusion. So how how do we see non-distinction in what we clearly understand from Shastra to be distinct as far as functionality and as far as as far as uh, potency, as far as the source and uh, the creator and the created, if we want to look at it from that viewpoint. So after the sacrifice, Daksha was having a sacrifice. You probably remember the story. And he didn't invite his daughter or Shiva. There was some family feuding going on. And the wife had to go because all the other sisters were there and her mother was there. She just couldn't pass up a good sacrifice. So she attended and just as her husband told her would probably be the case she was offended <laughs> offended to the point that she decided that it would be better just to depart the party uh, in a spectacular way than just to walk away Fireworks. so she did some special um, uh, destruction because she could not well her husband was being insulted and she could not bear those insults uh, to her husband and the only way that she could conceive of of abandoning those kind of insults from family members uh, was to abandon the family herself entirely not to just walk away but to just quit the family so she quit her body which was attached to that family and thus eliminated uh, what she what she considered uh, serious offenses uh, to Lord Shiva. So there was some some negotiation involved. Uh, of course, Shiva immediately when he heard it, he got a little upset, and he he uh, I think he pulled a hair from his head and. From that hair grew a great uh, personality uh, who was uh, dispatched along with Shiva's followers to the sacrificial arena and they did some uh, destruction there. One part of their destruction was they removed Daksha's head from his body. So then Shiva was pacified by the other demigods and he went to the sacrificial arena and he replaced Daksha's head uh, with that of a goat. 
and Daksha was able to complete the sacrifice and Vishnu appeared and the verse that Jiva quoted at the beginning of this Anacheda is uh, was spoken after Vishnu made an appearance after he was uh, you know accepted the sacrificial offerings and the supplications offered by the brahmanas there so he you could understand more the context of of what's being said by Vishnu you offended Shiva you saw a distinction between myself and Shiva and of course Brahma too if you were to you know see us because we are the 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 three predominating deities of the material universe you should not see a distinction I see no distinction between myself and Shiva and Brahma and neither should you and therefore your offense to Shiva would be an offense directly to me in this regard so you the context now makes a little bit more sense to us oh yes this is Vishnu himself talking and he's making this statement in order to what in order to get the point across that these three principal deities should be seen as equal representations of his very self or they are he they are his very self and from his viewpoint they are him they are no different from himself that's his viewpoint now the second verse uh, quoted is uh, Shiva speaking to the sage Markandeya and uh, Markandeya was meditating in his ashram and Shiva and Parvati were flying around the universe just you know and and Parvati noticed uh, uh, Markandeya sitting in his ashram on the riverbank Purpa Bhadra was the river Purpa Bhadra and uh, it's in the Malayan mountains and she said well there's a great sage you should offer him a benediction and Shiva said he's already perfect there's nothing I can offer him but we could take advantage of his good association because he's a completely self-realized soul so they went down to get the sages benediction from Shiva's perspective that would be good for them so they went down and he was in Samadhi and he was completely absorbed so what Shiva did is Shiva entered into his Samadhi into his chitta and so he's in samadhi and he's he's meditating and all of a sudden his object of meditation is replaced by the form of Lord Shiva and he's like wait I wasn't meditating on Lord Shiva and he opened his eyes and there standing before him is Lord Shiva so he was meditating on Shiva no he wasn't no that was not so Do we know what he was meditating? it doesn't say so he lost sight it says of his object of meditation and saw Shiva in his heart and he opened his eyes and there was Shiva and Parvati and uh, he offered prayers and then Shiva spoke this second verse 
the second verse being, and this is also in the Bhagavat Purana, they do not perceive even an atom of difference between me, Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma. They, probably in this context, would be these great sages. They do not see any distinction between us. Their, their revelation is that of non-distinctiveness. Now it says in the Padma Purana that it is an offense against the holy name to perceive the attributes and name of Shiva as different from those of Vishnu. And in the Narada uh, Purana, to regard one's guru, to criticize sadhus, to uphold a difference between Hari and Shiva, and to criticize the Vedas, all on the strength of the holy name of Hari, is to strive simply for offenses. In response to all these verses, Sri Jiva Goswami argues that Brahma and Shiva are not separate from Vishnu, yet they have different roles in respect to the creation and dissolution. They are not independent controllers, but manifestations of Vishnu for executing specific functions. However, this does not mean that Brahma and Shiva are equal to Vishnu. For Shri Jiva, the author, Jiva Goswami, that Brahma and Shiva are not different from Vishnu means that they are not independent from him. So that's how they are to be viewed as far as they're the same, but they're different. Achinta, Beta, Beta. Beta, Beta. They're, they're alike and they're also different. They're not independent controllers but they are Vishnu for executing specific functions. Now the Anacheta continues. Reply, it is true. We also are not promoting, propounding, I'm sorry, a difference between them. Because we begin this topic by saying that they are all forms of the Supreme Purusha and are therefore one. The meaning here, and this is what this is directly from the Anuchena, um, is that although Shiva and Brahma are seen to have distinct natures and so on, in regards to their respective functions of dissolution and creation, they should not be considered as separate supreme controllers, Ishvara, independent of Vishnu, in the carrying out of these acts. Rather, they are in fact his own forms. Therefore, it is said, Bhagavan is situated in Brahma, in the, forms, in the form of Brahma, and so on. This was an earlier verse that was quoted. Nor are we imagining this hierarchy of direct and indirect forms of the different manifestations of the Purusha. But it is the scripture itself dealing with transcendence that affirms it. We have simply made evident such scriptural statements. Similarly, while accepting that the three, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, are different, only the avatar of Vishnu, Sri Dattatreya, was counted in the list of avatars of Bhagavad and not those of Brahma, Soma, his offspring, from Atri. Now we go back to the discussion of Atri Muni who was praying he didn't 
he wasn't specific, but he wanted he was charged with creating progeny within the universe, and he 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 said may the supreme personality of this cosmic manifestation please become my son, and they all showed up, and he had three sons. One was of the nature of Vishnu, one was the nature of Brahma, and one was the nature of Shiva. So his off-son, Dattatreya, was of the nature of Lord Vishnu. Soma was the nature of Brahma, and Dorvas was of the nature of Shiva. Moreover, there is a statement by Brahma in the Brahma Purana as well as in the Brahma Vivarta Purana. So a little commentary here um, as we continue through this Anucheda. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna declares that if one sees Vasudev, which is another name for Vishnu, um, everywhere and in everything, He's a very rare soul. He sees in the cow, the cow eater. He's, you know, he sees everywhere the Brahmana. The, I forget the exact verse. I didn't write it down. Yes. Uh, so he sees he sees the supreme Lord everywhere. This does not mean that everything is Vishnu. In his complete form, rather. It means that everything is a manifestation of Vishnu's energy and thus not independent of him. Everything manifested from him, but all manifestations are not equal to him in all respects. There are varieties and gradations of manifestations. And this is bore out by our personal experience. Not everything's equal in this world. <laughs> you know, the Brahman is not equal to the cow or the elephant. Uh, Vishnu is the only independent entity, the supreme person. The simple principle of real causation is that an effect is both non-different from its cause and dependent upon it. A cause, however, is not identical to its effect and is independent of it. So, this point, which was brought out by Jiva Goswami regarding Dattatreya, is that in the list of incarnations, we do not find the offspring of Brahma or of Shiva, but we do find the offspring coming from the from Vishnu, uh, from that inspiration, from the universal controller, that is counted as one of the incarnations of the Supreme. So this implies, again, the superior, uh, superiority of Vishnu over Brahma and Shiva. The Anucheda continues. with a quote by Brahma himself 
from the Brahma Purana, Brahma Vivarta Purana. Neither I nor Shiva nor others are even one part of his energy. Bhagavan Achuta plays with us just as a boy plays with his toys. Who's saying that? That's Brahma. For this reason, there's a statement of Sakti in the Devi Sutta, where after saying, for the work of creation, I give rise to Rudra, Brahma, Rishi, and Sumedha. Sakti goes on to say, my womb is in the waters. In the waters, there indicate here indicates the form of Vishnu who lies in the causal ocean, Karnadakshai, because it is said the water, Appa, are called Nara, because they are the offspring of Nara, the primeval being. Since the latter's initial flux, Ayana, is the matter of cosmic creation, takes place there, in the matter of cosmic creation, takes place there. He is thus called Narayan, he whose place of movement is in the water. The word womb, yoni, in the Devi Sukta verse, means cause and source. Jiva Goswami has quoted this verse, cause and source. Similarly, it is said in the Skanda Purana, only you, Bhagavan Hari, are intrinsically of the nature of Kaivalya, or supreme transcendence, a kavalya that gods, beginning with Brahma and Shiva, cannot attain. Furthermore, it is said that a defect persists in those who see Brahma and Shiva as equal to Vishnu. So now we're getting the other side of the coin. On one side, the statements of the Shastra are, if you see a distinction, you're going to hell. Here, we have other, from the Skanda Purana, you you can't see a distinction. You shouldn't. You know. You should see a distinction. Uh, Bhagavan Hari is is the only one that can give liberation, Kaivalya. Uh, furthermore, it is said that a that a defect persists in those who see Brahma and Shiva as equal to Vishnu, as in the Vaishnav Tantra. The dull-headed who consider Brahma and Shiva equal to Vishnu cannot attain exclusive devotion to Bhagavan Hari, even by fixing their minds one pointedly on him. Elsewhere it is said, one who perceives gods like Brahma and Rudra, Rudra as equal to Bhagavan Narayan is certainly a heretic. And there in the Shruti, all the universal gods worship Bhagavan Vamana, Vishnu, who is sitting in the center. So there are also statements that declaring that the highly, it's highly improper to consider them equal to Vishnu. These apparently contradictory scriptural declarations, one should not consider Shiva and Brahma as different from Vishnu, and one should not see Brahma or Shiva as equal to Vishnu, must be reconciled in order to understand the true intent. This requires proper understanding which Sri Jiva attempts to provide in this Anucheda. And the Anucheda continues. Relatively, relativity of Shiva's supremacy. Shri Jiva Goswami continues. A further doubt is raised. 
In some other scriptures, Shiva is described as the supreme deity. In reply, we say, Jiva says, true, but that can be overridden if one considers the essential and non-essential elements of the scripture. In the Padma and Shiva Puranas, Shiva repeats the following words of Bhagavan Vishnu to Uma Devi. So Shiva's repeating to Uma something he heard from Vishnu. Something that was spoken must have been to him, O Sambhu. I continuously propitiate you to secure from you this boon, that in the beginning of Kali you appear among the human beings through your own partial expansion. Please divert people's awareness away from me by your own invented scriptures and conceal me so that the creation will be perpetuated on and on. Jiva continues, in the Varaha Purana also, I am quickly creating this illusion that will bewilder people. You also, O Rudra, O mighty armed one, cause an illusory scripture to be written. Establish untruths and falsehoods. Advertise yourself and hide me. Varaha Purana. Now there's an interesting narration in this regard that the demigods, well, it'll actually come out in the Anucheta, but just to give you some context of these statements, the demigods were afraid that everybody in the universe was becoming a devotee because the Deiches themselves, the demons, were taking up devotional service. So they were like, the whole creation's going to come to an end. Now, the demigods have some affinity for their position within the universe, so they're a little concerned. They're not really... There's a little self-interest on their part in relationship to their supremacy in the universe. So they, they went to, I forget, either Brahma or directly to Vishnu, or Brahma went to Vishnu on their behalf and said, please, you have to do something or the universe is going to become vacant and our authority within the universe is going to be worthless. So Vishnu, being kind and considerate of everyone's position, now you see there's here's some reasoning for, for the activities of Shiva and Lord Vishnu giving him this directive to please misdirect the people into into following your false interpretation of the scriptures because I have demigods who, you know, are a little concerned about their positions. Among the Puranas, those that discuss matters related to sattvic principles are devoted to the glory of Sri Vishnu, whereas those that describe matters related to Tamasika principles are devoted to the glory of Shiva and so on. Therefore, only those Puranas that establish Vishnu as supreme provide complete knowledge, for 
as it is said, knowledge arises from sattva. Hmm. Bhagavad Gita, 14th chapter, 17th verse. So too it is said in the Matya Purana, and now Jiva quotes that, the Sattvika Purana is primary glorified Bhagavan Hari, the Radhika Puranas, Brahma, and the Tamasika Puranas, Shiva and Agni. Puranas in the mixed Gunas glorify Sarasvati and the ancestors, Pitris. Macha Purana. And in the Padma Purana, O beautiful lady, know that the Vishnu, Narada, Bhagavat, Garuda, Padma, and Varaha Puranas embody the respective embody the perspective born of Satvagun, luminosity in being, and Brahmanda, Brahma Vivarta, Markandeya, Bhavishya, Vamana, and Brahma Puranas embody the perspective of the Rajagun. And the Macha Korma Linga Shiva Skanda and Agni Puranas embody the perspective born of Tamagun, ignorance and lethargy. That's a statement from the Padma Purana. Padma is Sattva, so... Now, you'll see these... Not every Purana just has those kind of statements. So now, how do we sort all that out? Like, well, does that mean we don't take a statement? But we do take a statement if it's in, in support of the proper concept concept of Vishnu being the Supreme. Therefore, Sri Siva told Kartikeya in the Skanda Purana, in scriptures related to Shiva, one should accept only those portions that support the conclusions presented in scriptures related to Bhagavan, Vishnu. Vishnu alone is Supreme and knowledge of him is the sole means to liberation. This is the verdict of the scriptures and everything else is only for the sake of bewilderment. So now some quotes that will put some perspective into what Jiva said so far in this Anucheda. In some scriptures, Shiva is described as the supreme person. For example, in Skanda Purana, Krishna, Krishna tells Sudama, the devas headed by Brahma and myself are granters of liberation from this material world only by the grace of Shiva. <laughs> there is no doubt in this. Shiva is the great guard, Mahadev, and great controller, Maheshwar, both in name and deed. O sinless one, others are only gods, but not the great god. Swetas Vatara Upanishad, it is said, everywhere are his faces, heads, and necks. He is in the cavity of everyone's heart. He is the all-pervading Bhagavan. Therefore, Shiva is everywhere. <laughs> he is stated to be the cause of Brahma and Vishnu in the Rudra Haidaya Upanishad. Vishnu is the effect and Brahma the action. But Maheshwar, Shiva, 
is the cause. It is only for the purpose of creation that Shiva, who is one, manifests the three forms. From the Utpati Tantra, declares that worship of Shiva is compulsory for everyone. Whether one is a worshiper of Shiva, Vishnu, Surya, or Ganapati, my dear, one cannot attain perfection without worshiping Shiva. Moreover, Parvati Devi makes the following statement about herself to her father, Himalaya. O Himalaya, all this world is pervaded by me in all directions. I am the supreme controller, Ishvara. The self that runs thread-like through existence and the cosmic being, Bharat. I am Brahma, Vishnu, Rudra, Gauri, Brahmi, and Vaishnavi. I am the sun, the stars, and the moon. Whatever is seen or heard, inside or out, I am always situated there while pervading it. There is no manifest object movie, moving, movable or immovable that it is abandoned by me. Devi Bhagavati Bhagavata Purana From the statements of Padma Purana and Varaha Purana cited in this Anucheda, it can be understood that scriptural assertions declaring Shiva or any god other than Vishnu as supreme are set forth for persons whose faith and eligibility accords with the gunas of Rajas and Tamas. At the level of self-identity that is presently plugged into Rajas and Tamas, the nirguna truth that Vishnu embodies either makes no sense at all or is seen to be without pragmatic relevance. For this reason, the above-mentioned scriptural assertions serve to divert consciousness away from the Nirguna path, the Nirguna truth, and to establish faith and awareness in the specific level for which such a person has eligibility. In this way, too, the cycle of natural creation is perpetuated. So the statements regarding Shiva's supremacy are relative in the sense that they have value for those at the lower to middle range of consciousness evolution. For the from the perspective of Nirguna truth, however, they are not to be taken in their primary sense. This is also supported by other passages in the Devi Bhagavata Purana. It goes on to quote some verses that seem to oppose what we just read. In this world, whatever scriptures oppose Shruti and Smriti are surely Tamasika. The Tantra scripture, such as Vama, Kapalaka, Kaulaka, and Bhairava Agamas are propounded by Shiva only to bewilder people and not for anything else. In these books, these books, there are also sometimes parts that are not, that do not oppose the Veda. Followers of the Veda incur no flaw in accepting those parts. A Brahmana has no right at all to accept the other portions that are different from the Vedic teachings. A person who is not qualified to follow the Veda is 
eligible only for Tantra. So some explanation there as to. And we also see that some of these scriptures, we see a different functionality in the Shastra itself as to scriptural statements made in relationship to Shiva or made, even made by Shiva himself or by Vishnu in relationship to Shiva, which would be independent of the of what was the duty of Shiva as Sankaracharya to bewilder people. So it's not just that the commentaries of Sankaracharya, which make up his Mayavad philosophy, are the only, only time that the scripture or someone propounding or commenting on the scripture makes statements to bewilder, well, actually not bewilder, but to satisfy those in the lower modes of material nature and encourage them in their beliefs so that they can gain faith in the scripture and say, yeah, this is my book. It's going to be hard for somebody in the mode of ignorance to pick up scripture and hear, you need to give up everything that your heart desires to attain the goal of life. Their goal of life is different. And somebody in the mode of passion also has different goals in life. And the scriptures provide them a means by which they can, they can be supported and enthused to accept scriptural statements, thereby gaining some faith in scripture because they're able to follow the scripture, perform the rites or the austerities according to their mentality, and thus gradually that faith will, will eventually lead them to sattvic faith. And then they'll be able to understand other portions. Here we are in Kali Yuga and we say, this just, but it's not always Kali Yuga and there's not always the manifestation, as we mentioned before, of Lord Krishna himself as a devotee opening the storehouse of Prem Bhakti to humanity at large without any free of any condition. That's the exception and not the norm of the material manifestation and scriptural statements in that regard. He's the exception in this particular one day, midday in Brahma's day, he comes after Krishna comes. So Shiva speaks the Puranas according to the three Gunas, speaks of the divisions of the Puranas. It's interesting that uh, he speaks of prohibitions and forget, you know, he forbids, forbids one to follow heretics. And he gives a lengthy description to uh, Parvati of who is a heretic. One of the descriptions he gives to her is 
people who smear their bodies with ashes and adorn themselves with garlands of skulls. These so Parvati's there. Hmm. Hearing this, Parvati raises a question to Shiva himself as to why he adorns his body with ashes, skulls, bones, and leather. Uh, the very articles forbidden by him and considered unclean. On this inquiry, Shiva becomes very grave and replies that although it is the topmost secret, he will divulge it to Parvati because she is extremely dear to him. Shiva relates that in the reign of Swayambhuvamanu, that's in the first Manvantara, uh, the great Daichas, like Namuchi, became devoted to Vishnu and restrained themselves from all immoral acts. So the demons gave up immoral activity and became followers of Vishnu. They devoted themselves to the Vedic principles and conduct. This greatly troubled the Devas headed by Indra because they were consequently incapable of subduing the Daityas. Being distressed, they approached Vishnu and pleaded for his help. At that time, Vishnu ordered Shiva to behave like a heretic and propagate Thomasic scriptures. Hearing this, Shiva became sad and said, O Lord, I will do as you command, but this will bring about my ruin. Bhagavan Vishnu conferred upon him a thousand of his names and a six-syllable mantra to chant. This will provide him protection. Shiva then describes how he propagated Tamasika scriptures, the Mayavad doctrine, Shaiva Shastra, and so on. He also lists the Puranas according to the divisions of the Gunas. We we quoted that earlier verse. He concludes, The Sattvic Puranas lead to liberation. The Rajasic Puranas are ever inauspicious and the Tamasic Puranas lead to hell, O Devi. That's a quote from the Padma Purana. The hermeneutic principle that Jiva Goswami proposes is that not all scriptures carry equal authority. Although different scriptures apparently seem to propound different deities or spiritual practices, their ultimate aim culminates in only one absolute reality. There is no conflict among the scriptures, as confirmed by Brahma Sutra. But the truth that Brahma is knowable only through the Vedas, Brahman is knowable only through the Vedas, is due to the fact that the Vedas are consistently reconciled in him alone. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association.